0: Come with us. Into the wild wood. And find the magic within. Welcome fellow travelers into the Wild Rich Pagan Podcast with your hosts, Lee Johnson and Rev Kai, who is over there on my screen, uh, <laughs> so I know I've got it right.
1: <laughs> Someday I'm just going to rearrange the windows so that they're like this.
0: <laughs> Not on my OBS though. <laughs> I'm in control. Uh, all right. Uh, today we're doing a book talk Um, I think this is our fourth one can't remember now we'll have to go check
1: I think so, yeah I think
0: it's the fourth one, yes alright I didn't actually get to read that many I have three books on my list here one of them I don't even remember probably that bad I...
2: I
1: did quite a few, but I've also got several that I started before, and I'm halfway through. Yeah, yeah i so. have
0: got those as well. Um, I did, the one I don't remember, I listened to the audiobook, uh, The Gods of Nibiru in the Ancient Near East. Um, the title continues, Anunnaki History, Sumerian Philosophy, dot, 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 the title's too long to actually, for the scribed to actually show it Um, and this was by Ryan Morhen so um, it obviously goes through the history of Sumerians and the Anunnaki and stuff Um, one thing I need to dive into deeper is the whole idea that the Anunnaki were aliens from another planet and um, there was mention of the leader of the anunnaki creating gold mines in south africa mm-hmm. so yeah i'm gonna have to delve a bit further into that i think because i think when it ever came to comes to aliens i kind of switch off um mm. but i shouldn't
1: there's a lot of i don't know i i get very frustrated especially with the aliens in africa myth Mm. because for a long time it was just um racism the people here couldn't have possibly done this It must have been aliens Mm. or we don't understand it in our modern time so it must have been aliens and eh, no although i think i don't know i was always just kind of aliens or are made up in things but in the last 10 to 15 years I think uh, there's pretty undeniable evidence mm. that lands are here um, have been here for some time <laughs> have technology that uh, we probably don't understand I don't really believe uh, the huge conspiracy theories about governments covering it up and everything else because not every government's going to react in the same way mm. um, but you know I um, especially uh, when it comes to uh, nuclear sites. That's where I, I think the evidence really gets very compelling. But mm. oh. um, yeah, the the story I've heard that involves the Anunnaki and aliens is that they uh, came from the Sirius star system. That's the reason why so many ancient cultures point to that as the origin place the place where we come from Mm. um they modified apes and made humans or they modified early humans in a way uh, to help uh, make them better workers it is one theory the other theory is of course the the many stories of the watchers and so on and so forth that they made it with Mm. humans and, and produced new offspring and they came here because we had an abundance of gold and gold uh was a resource that they needed for their technology and they created lots and lots of gold mines and set up mining operations mainly in africa because uh it was some of the richest gold deposits and easiest to reach Mm -hmm. and that's you know the origin of of early human civilization um because they needed a a labor force and voice thought about that and i'm like if they have you know um space technology if they can travel through space they have long enough lifespans or they've bent time or whatever to make it as far from sirius b to here why do they need a manual labor force
0: Mm yeah
1: you know that that last piece doesn't fit into all of it yeah. If they can do all that, why would it be a manual labor force? Sure, extracting resources from another planet that sounds perfectly logical in our especially in our capitalist society. but um i just I don't buy the exploitation of a manual labor force because it's not an efficient way to get a bunch of gold.
0: yeah they obviously have the technology yeah. When I when I was a teen, I got into Eric von Donican and mm, his, all these yeah. theories about uh, uh, the gods coming from space and other planets. Was, you know, the the Mayan um, uh, I'm thinking pictures, the what are they called? The carvings, hieroglyphs, hieroglyphs. Yeah, <laughs> mm. um, and then. The, the problem is that it gets to such a point where people are debating this, this stuff and it gets ridiculous so to try and sift through the ridiculous stuff and sort out what's possibly actually oh, yeah. correct is so difficult in that arena um,
1: well and you ever notice it's always the conquered people's gods that must be aliens mm. it's never the gods of the, the white peoples uh, or the ones who are at the top of the Colonial pyramid at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I did. And
1: that's always bothered
0: me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did have the, the idea or thought that possibly um, it, it, it's because those cultures are older, the history's older. Um, but that still doesn't fit in either, um, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Because it kind of like if you if you put stuff on a timeline, a certain Um, culture's history may come to this point whereas older civilizations that could record older timelines they may have gotten to the point where they did have the the giant walking out of the sea to come and save their land and things like that Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know and I mean the whole idea with the watchers being aliens I I kind of like that because there is the the myth of Lucifer falling to earth from heaven Mm -hmm. in a um, <clears throat> coming down on a star, an emerald star or something like that. And it kind of reminds me of the idea that, you know, there was an alien ship in, in space that blew an engine and fell to Earth, mm. and you, all you saw was this emerald star falling to Earth. <laughs> so, you know, it gets interpreted as... See, I don't... Well, well I, I, I think the
1: whole lucifer falling to earth that whole thing is a um misinterpretation of a misinterpretation of an allegory that was talking about Mm. politics Mm. It just the more you go back and read it the more none of that makes sense that doesn't discount the the mm, evidence stories that talk about gods and sky chariots and you know, the drawings that look like uh, what we now call UFOs, or I guess they're not called that anymore, uh, UAPs, yeah. Unidentified Aerial phenomena. Mm. Um, so, I don't know, but Lucifer, nah, I mean Lucifer and Phosphorus were, were common names for morning and evening stars and astrological phenomena. Mm. And the whole story of the synodic cycles that happen with the planets and everything else, and you know that was being used as a a way to talk about, um, you know, you had come to the end of your reign and you thought you were hot shit and gonna be all like a new young king and do all this stuff and uh, uh-uh. <laughs> mm. you can't. You don't have the people's support anymore. You're no longer in favor. Yeah
0: but that's also where names start getting mixed up as well because, um, I mean, there's always the confusion with Lucifer and Satan being the same or not um, so in terms of the Watchers um, Lucifer was, was isn't part of the Watchers but it was Azazel mm-hmm. Shamyaza, Um yeah, who, who and there's a
1: mix-up with uh, Azazel and Lucifer too
0: yeah, that they, Azazel so, becomes yeah. Lucifer and Lucifer becomes Azazel so you know the tales get a bit uh wishy washy and sticky somewhere along the line mm. oh
1: definitely definitely, but you know i i don't know i don't I don't mix all those things in together mm. uh because all the sources back before we get into like King James Bible verses, which like this is just the most made up stuff you can get to at that point.
2: Mm.
1: You know, it's been through so many translations. Everybody's fought over it. It's been purposely politically edited multiple times. And then King James comes along and just sweepingly orders all of these edits that are just a massive change and goes on a purposeful publication and eradication spree to make sure his version is the most popular one. And well, I think he wins. Mm. But um, I don't, I think that greatly reduces the historical accuracy, validity, anything we can link to it being anything useful. And honestly, I don't think the Bible is a great spiritual text either. I
0: think it's mostly
1: Mm. political commentary. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That, you know, 2,000 years later is really not that relevant. Mm. Because it wasn't wasn't terribly relevant even a hundred years later from when they were written, but, anyways,
0: <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was actually um, I remember was it in Orion uh, Foxwood's book? Um, no, it could have been could have been somebody else's. It was about fairy tradition anyway. Um and there was an interesting thing about the fall in there. Um the I'm sure it was Iron Orion Foxwood, but his fairy mate um actually spoke about the fall as being not a, a fall of man as in, you know, the way we normally see it, you know progression from being divine down into being a lowly uh, um, uh, anthropomorphic form whatever we want to call it Um, but it was more of in relation to the emanation so it was from a a more divine light type of, of energy into a more physical energy which had to happen in order for to be created, um, so it wasn't a bad thing. It was just something that had to happen in creation.
1: Yeah, coalescence.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a. Good and idea.
1: a lot of that, you know, it comes from, tran- uh um, translation. Man, word went right out of my mouth.
2: Almost I'm at it. I got today out the first well. half. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: translations are never, ever. A hundred percent accurate from one language to they cannot be because language shapes consciousness and world understanding. And as soon as you go from one language to another, you move into another worldview. Mm-hmm. There's always something lost in translation. Always things you can't say in another language.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and um, fall has all sorts of implications with it in our modern language. It's not just descent. It's not just coalescence. It's not just movement from one state to another. It has, you know, ideas about worthiness and um, morality tied into it Mm. that have been, I think, massively capitalized on for uh, systems of control. Mm. Because, I mean, how do you get people to, to do what you want? You make them feel lack. And then you... You give, you fulfill whatever the need is you created. I mean, that's
2: <laughs>
1: that's just how that works, mm. you know. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't even really buy into Lucifer as a being.
0: No, um, it's a title.
1: It's a title. Mm. It means light bringer, just like phosphorus means um, burning after, and it's the same thing as saying a herald. Mm. You know it's what comes before the light what what marks hey light is coming dawn is coming the rising Mm. you know happens Mm. so um, as opposed to phosphorus and they are a pair phosphorus is the following after the light the burning after the setting the the light still in the dark
0: Mm. you know it's the in-bulk period the
1: in-bulk period
0: yeah I, I, actually, coming back to that, the Im- Imolk in bulk and the pronunciation, um, I now found out where I first learned the pronunciation of imok. or Imolg. Mm. It's in the Pharaoh's Witches Bible. Um, oh. So, yeah, I learned that long, 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 long time ago, and I could not remember where the hell it was from, but it's how I've always said it over the years. <laughs>
1: what we do we pick up these things yeah. especially from books you know mm. and i i'm i kind of lament the tradition of a little ipa pronunciation guide after the words
2: mm. no
1: longer being common yeah yeah so but you know we can all google things these days and listen to the the repeating 20 second YouTube video that tells you how to pronounce a word that you listen to 50 times and then you don't even know what the word is anymore <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it <we're>, that's, <laughs> we did we did a show on Black Hat chat and it was regarding in in bulk and I was saying Imolk and it came up that that's the wrong pronunciation. And I went searching, I, I must have listened to about about 50 different um, pronunciation guides. Right? Right? And I'm like, where the fucking hell did I hear this? How did I, how do I, what? And then I was reading the book again and it, it's in there. And I'm like, aha, 20 years ago.
1: <laughs> we get those little things and we just, here's a foundational piece I do not question. Think. Yeah. And then. Much, much later we're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> How'd I end up with this thing? It doesn't match.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: All the time. All the time. Can't
0: find it anywhere else, but oh well. At least I know where it came from now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um Yeah. I uh continued on the whole James Hillman track.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: and uh, there are uh, three parts to another uh, workshop, like the first one, uh, that's called Blue Fire. Mm. And this is where Hillman discusses his book, A Blue Fire, and uh, reads from it and and, uh, discusses over the topic. So, I I read through the book and then I listened to the six six hours of audio lectures Mm. uh, which I thought was really interesting and again it's James Hillman and a workshop and other people are also attending the workshop and and part of the conversation asking questions bringing up points which is uh, really really interesting because what happens is uh, Hillman ends up reflecting and revisioning his life's work through this process Uh, of let's discuss everything I've put out there all of my ideas all of these thoughts and uh, then take them apart see how they work do they still hold up have I changed my mind about things you know so um that process in itself terribly fascinating and i wish we all did more of it Mm -hmm. in a more public way not necessarily because everybody needs to do it publicly but everybody needs to know that this is a process Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know this Mm -hmm. is part of self-development this is part of the realization of the understanding of the soul is you have to go back and question Mm -hmm. you have to you have to produce work And then you have to question and revise it. Um, Just consuming, just um, passively interacting with the information will never get you there. You have to say something, you have to stand on something and uh, take that chance that you could be wrong Mm -hmm. and then learn from that process. So in addition to the wonderful insights about alchemy and uh, psychology and, and Jung and, you know, all the stuff that James Hillman is known for. I think watching this process of someone who is deeply immersed in this, uh, what we would call an occult worldview, because he, he accepts the premise of alchemy. He talks about it as alchemy of the soul, that's the realm he's working in, you know, but he accepts the, this, this process, this mystical process, of uh and and working to enlightenment through material as opposed to an escape from material
2: Mm.
1: so really cool really cool um very interesting there is clearly a bit missing uh due to audio editing and uh there's a little note that like some sections of this audio were unintelligible, which you know, maybe according in a, a workshop setting like that, that's bound to happen but um, I, I wish, of course that wasn't missing because it sounds like it would be an interesting discussion you know it's there because there's a question and Hillman goes, yes, let's get into that and then it fades out
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and you're like, ah Damn. so <laughs> uh, but uh, Six hours is really pretty short for a discussion, uh, because they've edited it down, of course. But really, an interesting, interesting take. Um, I know I'm on a I'm on a James Hillman streak, uh, but hey, gonna do it, do it, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, I, th- I think that is very important, and I actually find it quite interesting that um, you know the whole idea of take something, test it. Um, if you're wrong then you know move on to something else or check something else test that it's a Mm -hmm. very scientific approach but the strange thing is that we are taught not to do that because if we're wrong we've failed and we don't want to fail you're not allowed to fail you have to be right so on the one hand you've got this teaching that we're brought up with And then on the other hand, you've got the scientific approach, which is a very westernized thing to do, and they contradict each other.
1: Well, we're not only taught not to question ourselves because we must be right, we're taught not to question our teachers because they must be right. Yeah. We're taught not to question the the basic principles because they must be right.
2: Mm.
1: And I, I agree that that has extended too far we don't have anymore the learning part of learning that is going through the process of the discovery of the natural laws of the foundations. We're taught those. Mm. We don't discover them ourselves, which is still the questioning process, you know. Um, probably an obscure example, but I was doing it last week with a student, Um the terms or bounds in astrology are are clearly derived from the sieve of Aristosthenes. Uh they're they're prime numbers and you get these certain things where there should be a prime number but there's not there's a gap and this lines up and and develops these um unequal divisions of the signs and they're they're unequal through all of the signs um so if we're just taught them we think well they're just this weird thing you know and we may use them in techniques we may return to them but we don't really understand where it came from or why it's there however if we go through the process it's a guided process that guides us to discover this thing we're not just out in the world doing whatever you know because this is about learning and you need foundational knowledge to get to the next step but if we go through that that baseline process to understand where these things come from we get a deep understanding of what it is and how it works and why we would like to interact with it and use it as a piece of foundational wisdom or not if Mm. we go through that process we get to understand and and have reasoning for why we would choose this or that instead of well it's what i learned Mm. which okay (laughs) you know uh but our education has really gotten to the point that people don't expect even to be going through those foundational exercises. You know, we used to call it a classical or a liberal arts education. You read the classics, you read this basic philosophy. This was the foundation, so you knew how to think and discuss these ideas. You didn't have to rediscover, you know, what power structures were in society. Or different ways of organizing society or how commodities affect and resources affect uh, social structures because you went along for the journey of the development and discovery of these ideas and and had development and discovery yourself Mm. we don't do that anymore we get a cliff notes we get just the sheet with the answers
0: yeah
1: and you know I understand that um, we have to accelerate learning and we have to stand on the shoulders of the giants before us absolutely you know we're not isaac newton discovering or or actually codifying you know these uh, natural laws and that sort of thing but we still need to go through the journey i think mm. because it teaches us how to learn and i as a college tutor um, who tutors a lot of adults that's that's primarily what I do nobody knows <laughs> how to learn anymore because we taught them they taught them how to memorize things they taught them how to study for the tests but they didn't teach them how to teach themselves how to pursue learning itself
2: mm-hmm.
1: and not everybody learns the same I think that's pretty clear You know, there's lots of different things, but once you unlock that key, that you learn how you learn, you've unlocked the world. Mm. You can do anything, and the way you figure that out is following other people on how they learn, till you find something that works. Mm. You know, and it's that process that teaches you how to think, that teaches you how to how to examine. Yeah, I, everybody on the internet, there's no, nobody has critical thinking skills anymore
0: because
1: no. we don't have critical learning skills either
0: yeah, but, uh, as you mentioned, I mean we've got so much we need to learn now, well, what the kids do anyway I, mean, I remember when my daughter was in school, she was in her last year in matric and um, I think it was science it was one of the subjects, it was two two weeks before finals and they were only halfway through the syllabus Oh, yeah. Um, there just wasn't enough time. Yeah, so, that's part of Yeah. You know, so what the systems are trying to do now is trying to simplify and cut a lot out so that they can get through everything, and it's not working.
1: Well, the reason it's not working is humans learn by play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Humans learn massively faster by play than any other method.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, the ratios are astronomically different it is insane but um, our society says that when it is time for learning we are done with play they have separated these two things as if they are different activities
0: let's try and train and train them into the work environment
1: well it's training it's not learning Mm. it's training and um, training doesn't come with deep understanding it comes with obedience
2: yeah
1: you know and I think you know separating play removing play from the equation drops you know it through play. let's say we're getting 95 to 97 percent of our understanding of the world and our learning that's the rate at which we're going Mm. right almost everything you take play out like the top out level you can manage is about nine percent of understanding during Mm. that time and it's just yeah yeah i'm I'm not sure how we got off on the demerits of the education system but
0: (laughs) it's all part of that that's um the learning process and as you said it's a it's the training is is, has become obedience so We are taught to think a certain way. We are taught that these are the facts and there is no questioning it. And Mm -hmm. you cannot question that. You cannot question the teachers. And if you get it wrong, you fail. And if you fail, you're stupid. And you're done. And that's why people are not questioning themselves. They're not questioned. You know, they pick up. some kind of knowledge. They won't question it because if if there's a possibility that it's wrong and that that means that they're wrong, that means they've failed and that means they're stupid, um, we just ma- immediately make those connections and that's why it's just gone out the window and it's sad, Man. it's unfortunate.
1: Well, mm. I, only stupid people never fail.
0: Because mm. they never question
1: they never question and and they never learn you can't learn anything unless mm. you fail
2: mm. i mean
1: if you did everything the right way from shot one you'd never learn anything
2: yeah
1: you know you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't develop empathy either mm. i mean that's a huge part of learning that a lot of people think i think leave out especially because our worldview our, our, our white supremacist christian capitalist over worldview is so focused on duality and dichotomy mm. there's good and bad there's black and white there's right and wrong and the da-da-da-da, it's always this dichotomy and like you said learning and uh, um because it has the potential for failure failure got assigned to wrong and wrong got assigned to bad and off it went Mm. instead of you know you don't learn to walk as a child unless you fall
0: down yeah one of the simplest examples Yeah.
1: right you don't I mean how many kids you watch do those shape puzzles and we're always so excited when they finally get it right the problem comes when we train them to do it instead of letting them discover it themselves Mm. because we remove the development of fine motor skills and it turns out a huge part of the brain development you know there's all these sorts of things that if you just look at kids mm. <laughs> that been around, even in these societies, this is how they work. And yet, you know, now with the way schools are and the way the education system is and everything and, and public education is a new thing. Mm. A lot of people don't think about it, but we didn't really have like, you know, collective public education until the 1900s. Mm. And uh, I mean, I'm all for collective public education because an educated populace lifts all boats, right? Um, We need a base of of knowledge and we need to be able to pass it on to the next generation Mm. repeatedly. And that base of knowledge quite clearly grows as there are more generations and more record keeping and everything else. But I think we might have took a wrong turn somewhere in... Removing play, focusing on obedience, training workers for um, working in the factories and, and industrialization—you mm. know, all these things—and and the heavy, heavy focus on output, not input. It's your behavior. It's your test scores. It, it's where you fit the quantity measuring stick.
2: There's
1: mm. no question about the quality of your learning. Or the quality of your understanding, you know. Yeah,
0: well, I, mean, I could bang
1: on about this forever.
0: Didn't the public <laughs> edu- the the public education system start around the same time as the industrial revolution? hmm So they probably used that to train as and be, train as many people as they could, so that they could get them all into the factories.
1: Well, there was also. Um, uh, when child labor laws came about, and kids were no longer allowed to work in the factories, the parents were working in the factories and something needed to be done with the kids.
0: Mm. Anyway, we've definitely gone off track, yes?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Definitely off track.
0: All right. Um, The Temple of Hecate, Hecate by Tara Sanchez this is a brilliant book um, I listened to the audio book it wasn't available as an ebook. Um, this is actually one that I want to get as a paperback and put on my shelf um, and I don't say that often because I don't have a lot of space um, but it was really really good, I mean it goes through a lot of the um, history um, but it goes it, it's actually very much a grimoire of how to do magic um, from how to create sacred space down to divination methods how to do spell work how to um, work in a natural temple um, it gives you path workings to work with, okay. with Hecate and the different um, elemental aspects it just goes through everything even the examination of the tarot um, in relation to the different um, epithets of um, Hecate was really, really interesting um, but it really it, it breaks everything down and it she did a really good job on this book I've got to say I really enjoyed it yeah definitely one I want to put in my library
1: um, I've read that book uh, mm-hmm. now that I look it up and I look at the cover yeah I, I agree great mm-hmm. book absolutely great book mm-hmm. um, and um, if I remember it right because for digital record keeping it said I read this in 2013.
0: I was last year <laughs> which, <Yeah. laughs>
1: 10 years ago actually. <laughs> yeah. um, if I remember it right, which I think, um, this is a book that, that would be absolutely appropriate for beginners.
2: yeah
1: uh, maybe not like day one, but this fits that okay, I think I'm pagan and now I want to do it mm. point that a lot of people get to, you know, they, they're they interested enough to have moved their identity over. They're interested enough to, to feel a kinship and, and be ready to perform. It's not just theory anymore. It's time to dive in. Mm. And this is one of those books that I think fills that time frame of here, here, here's how you do things. And there's a little something for everybody in there wherever you want
0: to dive in. Yeah. What I did find very interesting was that, you know, a lot of books like this, um, and especially if they're focused on Hecate or a specific deity, mm-hmm. is that they will take that deity and they will put it into a neo-pagan uh, frame,
2: mm-hmm.
0: whereas yeah. this one focuses heavily on, on the Greek. Uh, from yeah. the creation of of sacred space and the circle casting to banishing rites, um, the winds—it um, all focuses on the Greek. It's not taking it into that neo-pagan or neo-Wiccan framework, um, which I, th- yeah. I thought was excellent. Absolutely really fantastic. So,
1: yeah, I don't tend to to enjoy those. Uh, I call them plug-and-play pagans. Mm. Uh, you know where it's just here's the format and everything plugs in the same way everything fits this mold everything goes in here and i can and i think it's what leads to the eclecticism that is not actually helpful you know that's just the pick it pick and choose because here is a system where you can literally pick and choose anything shave off its corners and plug it in
2: Mm.
1: and go and i don't think that helps anything anywhere really
2: mm. you
1: know it, ultimately it, it's not it's not a compare and contrast it's not really a, a deep learning it's not really a deep connection and it it leads quite clearly a lot of people to not knowing what the fuck they're talking about
0: mm. <laughs> and it you com- know? comes back to not I'd, questioning as well
1: oh yeah yeah again yeah. and again but yeah if you just believe that this is how it works that you can plug anything in And and that you don't need to be immersed in the cultural understanding
2: Mm.
1: of this divinity in order to actually talk to them, you know, actually interact with them, actually have any kind of of potential relationship, regardless of good, bad, indifferent. Mm. You have to be culturally connected. Mm. You have to have some cultural competency. Mm. <laughs> Literacy in there.
0: Yeah, but that that again. I mean, apart from coming back to the whole questioning aspect, is that if enough people say the same thing, it must be true. And when mm. it comes to neo-wiccan and neo-pagan uh, plug-and-play frameworks, mm. so many people have said it. It must be true, and it must it must work. But nobody's yeah. nobody's saying why. Why does it work? Um, you know, who actually decided this works, and what basis did they have? Um, where did it, where come, did it from? come from? And why? Yeah, I mean, if, if why you, did
1: why are people saying
0: it? If you start yeah. if you start going back through the threads and the lines, then you probably get to traditional Wicca, and then there's a whole load of stuff there that becomes even more interesting. But it's just this base framework of, we do it this way, everything's in its place, um, we shouldn't move it, we shouldn't question it. It's not how well, it's done in that original form.
1: Yeah. And, and I think this is another one of those imports, I saw an argument the other day that um, too many people use the word religion to mean Christianity, mm. especially when we hear things like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. No, not everybody not across the board Mm. but it's very common Mm. and and this is one of those things christianity in the way that most people encounter it and in modern protestantism and catholicism you don't question that's one of the big things you don't question the teachings it's not your place
2: Mm.
1: your place is to under, you know find the wisdom in them without questioning them take them as they are And and you can't go poking around and say, where did this come from and why? And, well, I don't think it's real and so on and so forth. And and this is a feature that's pretty unique to Christianity, you know. But it's so pervasive and so popular that people think that it's religion. And it's like, no, it's it's one uh, of thousands of religions Mm. that does this. But, again... Popularity, signal to noise ratio, you know. Mm. So yeah, I I really I despair when I see that those kinds of ideas imported over into pagan worldviews because that's just not the way it works, you know. Um, Boundful curiosity is is what drives paganism, Mm. what drives the pagan worldview for the vast majority. Uh, of these many worldviews we put under that umbrella because if not, how did we discover the gods?
0: (laughs) I I, I, I do think that you know, when somebody's starting out um, they need somewhere to begin, so sure, you know, pick up a book pick up a few books, and if they all say the same thing let's fit into this mold but it has to be kept in mind that as you go along you've got to start questioning that mold Because at some point you have to break out of it because you've got to make your own, you know, make your own Mm. mold that you can fit into and then break out of again and fit into and then break out of again. You've got to keep doing this over and over again. Um, So to begin with, sure, fit into that mold so you've actually got a, you start moving in a direction that you feel you want to go in. But just remember that at some point you've got to break out of it and start questioning and start Exploring further, but yeah. Uh, suppose everything has well, its place.
1: I I don't know that it's at some point. I mean, in order to practice, you're going to have to take some things as writ because you don't understand them yet. Yeah. Um, but you should still be questioning them.
2: Mm.
1: You should still, you know, you should have that i can't question this because i don't know enough yet instead of this is the way it is mm. i don't think as humans we really actually know this is the way it is about anything mm. we, make, we make some theories and uh some of our theories have held up well some of them have not mm. you know but theories stand because they are questioned they do not stand because everybody says this is the way it is. Mm. You can't test anything without questions and and I think that dovetails back into a thing I see a lot of early pagans also shy away from is testing the spirits. They mm. think it's disrespectful or they're not supposed to do it or they're not supposed to question authority or all this other stuff. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, that's not part of of pagan world views. Questioning is good. Testing the spirits is expected.
2: Mm.
1: If you don't test, Mm. that's disrespectful.
2: Mm.
1: Because, you know, I mean, do I really want to be with someone who doesn't know how to to test these things? I mean, you know, are they going to be clean? (laughs) Are they going to be you know, surrounded with all sorts of astral parasites, manipulating them for whatever.
2: Mm. Mm. So,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: I know. We're we're preaching to each other, and, and we're both in the pulpit, so uh, they're not even in choir at this point. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I guess it's not for our benefit, is it? <laughs> right
1: another another christian
0: yeah um, yeah we went back down that rabbit hole so right, oh, right. and this this is book talk it's not even follow the white rabbit today oh my goodness yeah
1: but there's a reason we like rabbits <sighs> mm. go down that rabbit hole <laughs> which isn't rabbits and hares <laughs> <laughs> much more interesting um i read egyptian cosmology the animated universe third edition which a uh, third edition was very noticeable by mustafa Gadala. and eh, i don't know it wasn't bad uh it was fairly short mm. a pretty reasonable introduction to egyptian cosmology uh and um i don't know obviously i haven't read any of the other previous editions
0: Yes. Yeah, because I,
1: I'd never even heard of them.
0: I did. Start, <laughs> I did start listening to that. Um, <coughs> I got a quarter of the way, way into it. I, I haven't read, listened to any further.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's kind of dry. It's really just full of this is the way it is, and this is the way it is, and this is the way it is, <laughs> hmm. without a lot of explanation behind it. But it's designed to be an overview uh, that answers a bunch of those questions Mm. to start digging and there's some things in there i don't really agree with i didn't come to the same conclusions but then again i'm not an egyptologist so you know (laughs) i'm probably wrong but um if you just want to um get kind of a a bird's eye view of, of egyptian cosmology and you don't really know anything about it this might be an okay introduction providing you keep in mind that there are points over which Egyptologists disagree about
2: Mm.
1: Um, and uh, just like we have in other um, traditions where the culture is still living and perhaps things have changed but we should listen to the living culture and their understandings of things tends to be a little closer so um, kind of a mixed review I don't know that I would necessarily recommend this to anybody mm. but I'm not going to say it's not a bad book by any means it's just it's a, it fulfills a, a place that I don't think a lot of people are going to be in mm.
0: see so this is where I don't, you know when I listen to audiobooks I find it very difficult to concentrate on what's going on because my mind just starts wandering off Mm. on other topics and then 10 minutes have gone by and I come back oh shit, I forgot what happened Um, but when I'm listening to an audio book that's interesting I can keep track when I'm listening to an audio book that is, as you said, dry um, and is just monotonous and
1: monotonous is a good word to describe this
2: book
0: yeah it's like this uh, Gods of Nibiru um I don't remember the the entire book except for when it got to the Anunnaki and there was mention of South Africa and I live in South Africa so that piqued right, my interest so. you know emotional connection I'll yeah. pay
1: attention to that yeah but I the rest didn't of it
0: I don't remember and it was the same with that that um, uh, Egyptian book just it was just monotonous and I just don't remember it
1: <laughs> yeah. well I I I don't know. I do quite well with audiobooks. I quite enjoy it. But um, I always do activity engagement. So, um, books about cosmology, I garden. Books about theory, I do dishes. <laughs> books about psychology, I vacuum and de uh, pet hair the furniture. <laughs> so, I have all of these divisions and these purposeful activities that go with these topics. And what it does is compartmentalize my life so that when i return to that activity i remember everything about that topic Mm. Mm -hmm. um there's another one of those learning models um it's kinetic kinetic memory and kinetic learning and uh a lot of people you know can use that um it's the same trick although it's scent based because memory is triggered by emotion Mm -hmm. um that you study while chewing gum, and then when you take the test, you chew the same gum. Mm. It it combines the the scent and the memory. It's an external stimulation that roots the experience of the information into your body, to and trigger. it makes it easier to recall.
0: Mm. Yeah. So. yeah. I think we added we added this discussion at one stage. I actually don't remember how to daydream. Um, mm. I don't know if it was just pushed out of me in my teens or what happened, but I cannot sit down and just daydream. But I do find that when I'm listening to an audiobook, I can very easily daydream. And I come mm. up with loads and loads of different theories. Nothing to do with the audiobook, but that's what happens. So when I'm listening to an audiobook, book, um, I do like to, I've got my old phone, um, if I connect it to the Wi-Fi, I can also use script on there, um, so I can read and listen at the same time which then I take yeah, it Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I can put the audio book on a fast speed so I actually get through the book quicker. But because I'm reading through at the same time, then I'm taking it in and I'm focusing on it instead of my, my brain going off on a tangent. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And that is helpful also as a way of learning. I enjoy doing that. But unfortunately, I read a lot of books without English words in them. Mm-hmm and sometimes um, writing in non-Roman characters, and my screen readers and most audio books cannot manage that. Mm-hmm. And it especially drives me crazy. I, so at one point I decided I would read the entire body of Dion Fortune's work, yeah, right? Because yeah. I wanted to know what she thought.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I did this mostly through um, auto screen readers that w- it was this the early technology of listening to a computer read you something. Mm. And it, it had a certain tone to it. And it really had a hard time with a lot of pronunciation. And I thought Dion Fortune would be okay because, I mean, she's English, mm. right? To be in English. But, like, Dr. Taverner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember those, though. All
1: of those, so. <laughs> um, there's another way you can learn Is make it weird And you'll remember it <laughs> You'll remember all of the weird things yeah. Because it's weird
0: <laughs> Until you start talking about it And you're pronouncing all these words really strangely And everybody's looking at you like, What the hell are you talking about yeah.
1: Oh, yeah Actually,
0: actually, coming back to pronunciation In the temple of um, Hecate um, As I said, I was res- I- I listened to this on audiobook and what I found interesting was um, the pronunciation of Kibel. Kibele. Kibeli? Um <laughs> She, the the um, narrator actually sen- says, well, she says Kibele. But then, after that, continues as Sybil. Mm.
1: And
0: I. You know, it's audiobook so I couldn't actually go and check if the the spelling was different or something. Is why. Right. I,
1: are you talking about Kibale, or are you talking about Sybils? Yeah,
0: <laughs> because it was it was immediately afterwards. It wasn't like another chapter or something like that. It Was still in the mm-hmm. same portion of the book. Two different pronunciations of the same name, and couldn't write quite figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: and, and uh, we've talked about all these uh, pronunciations of these ancient words from other languages, especially god names, Mm. and you know, first they're Romanized so that they fit the Roman sounds. Mm. Then they are put into Roman uh, spelling, which, like, roll the dice on who decided how shit's spelled. Mm. Right? (laughs) Right. especially with modern english pronunciation rules they're not really rules they're guidelines that we violate constantly so you know and then we get to the don't question it only read it never heard it spoken out loud well it's written in roman letters so i'm just going to follow my understanding of pronunciation for mm. this word you know, and if you don't speak greek you know greek is phonetic it's mm. right there usually they'll they'll print the greek name too right beside it but if you don't speak greek you know what that means mm. hence the phrase it's all greek to me <laughs>
2: uh,
1: and if you if you don't know how to read ipa the the international phonetic alphabet you don't get that and and people don't even put that in books anymore mm. you know i remember most of my early pagan books like you know back when i was going to the library They'd have a page of IPA guidelines Mm. in them, in in the index and the appendix somewhere, so that you could look it up. Or sometimes they'd have a pronunciation guide where they'd have all of the, what they thought were foreign names and so on and so forth with IPA and then a a written out form so you could figure out how to pronounce it. I don't see those in books hardly at all anymore.
0: No, you don't. It's so weird. And even if you go on right. to something, uh, probably a bad example, but Wikipedia, um, they have the IPA in there most of the time, but there's no guide to anywhere to be found. You know, so all it is is just a bunch of symbols that nobody knows how to actually use. So... Go
1: study IPA. Everybody should study IPA. Print out the cheat sheet. That shows you all of the things. It, it fits on one sheet. There's hundreds of infographics for it. Mm. And just keep it by your computer yeah. you know, or your reading or wherever you are. But, yeah. And then people pronounce things differently. Mm. Um, vowel shift. I mean, vowels are the first thing that's a change. And then we have, you know, normal shifts through time of how uh, languages change. That's why we can have things like Proto Indo European because we took those rules and applied them backwards. And so we have this language we think existed we have zero evidence of it of course nobody speaks it but if we take the rules of change for how language and sounds change we can work it backwards and we end up with these proto languages Mm -hmm. which is really really fascinating and teaches us a lot about spiritual concepts because language shapes cosmology but um yeah even though we're talking about all this, there are definitely wrong ways to pronounce things. But sometimes there's more than one right way,
2: mm.
1: and then also, the most right way is the way that gets understood, mm. which is something it took me a long time to learn.
0: No, <laughs> yeah. well, you can do what I do: is just look up the pronunciation on Google and just go through every single freaking little sound bite. <laughs> mm-hmm. Until you get yeah. to the until you get to the one that sounds right and most people are actually saying it that way, <laughs> not always yeah, correct yeah. but probably right. Yeah, yeah.
1: I I uh, I do that now. But I was a young precocious child that asked the librarian for a lot of assistance, mm-hmm. and hence my learning the IPA very early on from probably a very tired and frustrated librarian that was just like here. It's in this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can, know. I know it's a reference book. Just take it back to your table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really understand that whole reference library thing where like the books couldn't leave because if I wasn't working on the farm, I was in the library. Mm. That was just my life as a kid. And uh, since I was there all the time, and it was a little tiny library. The librarian let me take home reference books.
2: Mm.
1: Shouldn't have. Now that I know how that all works, but I, I faithfully brought them back, and I was very careful with the books and all of that sort of stuff. But you know, it'd be time for the library to close, and I'd still have twenty books on the table reading away. Mm. And she'd be like, "It's time to go home." I don't want to go home. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: this and reading this. Okay. Thanks. Just lock a the door. And just leave bring the lights <laughs> Right. Bless <laughs> librarians. <laughs> mm.
2: Mm.
1: What a wonderful job! But also, I'm sure I was I was quite a thorn in the side of many librarians
2: as a child. And
0: they probably still me remember questions. you to today.
1: Oh yeah, I was always always the child peering over the top of the stack of books. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was trying to carry in or out or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I could read like that these days. As we talk about books we've read, and I'm looking at the list of well, I started that, I started that, I started that. I haven't finished that yet.
0: Oh yeah, so. no, I got lots of those. Yeah. Um, I
1: did start um, A Deed Without a Name. I'm still not through it, but it made me go back and reread the visions of Isabel Gowdy and uh, Familiars and Folk? That's not it. Cunning Folk and Familiar Spirits mm. by Emma Willoughby.
0: Yeah, I, I actually I've started all of those and I haven't finished them. Mm. Yeah. So I think I started them last year or some, some stage.
1: We... I could maybe finish up a deed without a name, and you could finish all three of them because you read vastly faster than I do. <laughs> if we could talk about them at some point, because mm. they do all kind of go together. Yeah. Since um, Morgan references in the these work repeatedly.
0: Mm. Yeah, I should actually get around to those. Um, see how the next couple of weeks go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah I say that and it's also spring here so like
0: oh, audiobooks
1: no. are the thing because I need to be in the garden um, getting mm. everything planted and taking care of weeds and everything else
0: mm. so. uh, you know what I put? I actually put on my list um, which I thought was quite funny The Triumph of the Moon, Ronald Hutton oh yeah audiobook it's 28 hours long <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. That's not too bad. I'm about halfway through Cosmos and Psyche on an audiobook, which is listed as 25 hours, but I listen on three times speed, so not
0: that long. Mm. All right. Uh, Another one of mine uh, was Morgan Daimler's Fairy Craft, Following the Path of Fairy Witchcraft. Um, Loved that. It really is just traditional witchcraft, but from a, a fairy perspective sort of specifically working with the gods so there are obviously some differences like uh, not working with iron um, generally unless you need to actually banish uh, one of the fair folk away Um, but I mean apart from that it's really like just reading a traditional witchcraft book going into spell work being charms that you used um, you know rhyming couplets and things like that so yeah, but very, very good book. Very interesting. Mm,
1: good. Mm. That's on my, my to read list, but I tend to end up putting the fairy books aside these days.
0: <laughs>
1: mm. Because I'm not gonna use it.
0: See it's become I think it's become <laughs> a more prominent part of my own practice, um, working with uh goesha spirits, the gen. Um and my more recent connection with them being very much fair folk.
1: I see I don't have any problem with Galatia spirits or Jen. Yeah, but I wouldn't count them as gay.
0: Yeah, you see the what I, the the reason I made that connection was because of the similarities um from mm-hmm. what's mentioned in the Quran um you know allergic to iron. Um, don't like humans most of the time and there's just, just all these things about the jinn and then I read about the fey and they just sound so similar and so they feel so similar
2: it says in
1: the Quran that the jinn are allergic to iron yeah I have missed that yeah. um,
0: I, know if I mean there's a whole I think the interesting thing between the Quran and the, well, the Watchers really is the whole story of Iblis um, not bowing down to Adam and then being kicked out. Iblis is often referred to as being Azazel. Um,
1: is it Iblis and Enoch and Elijah? They're all the same magician in, in the biblical stories.
0: More well, so um, Azazel and Enoch.
1: Yeah. I mean, mm. I-, I thought the theory was they're all the same person.
0: Yeah, they probably are, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's that whole crossover. The story basically between the Quran and Mm -hmm. what's taught now in Christianity, uh, Christian mysticism, let's put it that way, um, is basically the same thing, same story, it's just different names. But Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, the the whole mythology is they are allergic to iron, they live on a parallel they were they were pushed out of the earth. They were the keepers of the earth, the race before humans, and they were pushed out of this realm into a, into their own realm, which is the Emerald Mountain. Oh, it's called Cuff. Um, and you know they 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 pop in and out, and they will pick humans up and take them a great distance and drop them into bushes, um, and all of those tales you then read again when you're reading about the Fair Folk. Um, you know all mm-hmm. the tales and the legends and things like that um, but there isn't a lot of history regarding how to actually work with the Shen they are just feared so you don't work with them there's lots of tales about um, marriage to the xian. Um again coming back to the Fair Folk there's lots lots of tales about being married to different Fair Folk the Kelpies etc etc Um but there's very little about how to actually work with them safely. It's mm-hmm. just, do not do it. Um, so yep. I think the whole working with the fair folk has become more prominent at the moment because it seems to be the, a better source to actually try and figure that part out. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know. I think the allergic to iron thing is spread around to many more beings i i'm i hesitate to use the word races because i don't even think it works like that
2: Mm.
1: i think it's kind of like um lactose intolerance in humans Mm. the vast majority of humans cannot digest lactose after childhood after weaning we lose the enzyme that allows us to digest that particular sugar
2: Mm. because
1: we don't need more because we're not drinking milk anymore but there are some that maintain it. Mm. Well, I kind of like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the same with the fair folk. Not all fair folk are allergic to iron or steel.
1: Like, I have no problem with the many things that live in my garden.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and um, some friends of mine would identify them as fairies. I don't. Um, mostly because of that confusion. How can you say you have fairies when you have iron everywhere. I mean, and there's iron everywhere in my garden. Mm-hmm. We have a forge. We make garden things out of iron. You know, <laughs> we have spare iron lying around. That's what we use for plant stakes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's everywhere in our lives. Um, and so you know, I I don't have any problem interacting with those spirits. I don't have any problem interacting with the Galatia spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of that stuff. And I not Nor do I have problem with them. Being in my house on my land,
2: mm.
1: which I think, if they were allergic to iron, this would be an absolute no go zone.
0: Yeah, so that's that's another thing I'm, I'm coming up against is whether the gaosha spirits are actually Jin. Um, we refer to them often as being zhen, uh, we have the tales of King Solomon, um, and all of these things, but. You know, even if you go into the Goethe that we know nowadays, that's basically just the plagiarism of a variety of other books pre- previously. And the right, tes- testament is, yeah, yeah, the Testament to Solomon, there were 72 spirits that he, he worked with, but they were completely different names to what we have in our Ask Goethe now. Um, yeah. So are those yeah. spirits the jinn that, that Solomon worked with? probably not. They're probably just completely and utterly egregores and archetypes, which is what Crowley mentioned. Um, Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, the conflation of 72 and 72 is a mistake because 72 is a communication about a state of things, not Mm. a number. Mm. But I, I, I don't think the Goetia spirits are Goetic spirits because that's how they've been grouped. I don't think that there's necessarily another group they all fall into.
2: Mm.
1: Because again, they're collections of these spirits from, from different places and every magician develops their own library of spirits mm. that they form relationships with, that they work with, so on and so forth. They're not all going to be fairy or Jin or whatever. mm that's not and i think that's where this tradition comes from of of these personal um, grimoires these personal collections and especially the confusion later of not understanding um, numbers as words instead of numbers as numbers the literalism seeps in and numbers turn back into numbers Mm -hmm. instead of descriptive words and so we start going, well, there's 72 here, and there's 72 here, and there's 72 here. They're all the same thing.
0: Hmm.
1: And that's, I don't think that's what's going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's also the connection with the Shem Ham Um I hate saying that word. It doesn't roll off my tongue very well. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, the name of the 72 names of God, um, and, you know, people have equated that with, the 72 angels. Mm. It wasn't originally. They were not angels. Mm. Um, and then, you know, that's been transferred into uh, tied in with the 72 Goesha. And I don't think it is. They don't. You know, it does. It doesn't click into place properly. Um, you know, there were 72 names of God. It was. They were energies, powers, but. They were not angelic forces that only crept in later when somebody decided, ooh, let's make them into angels um, so, I don't know here questionable... we are again
1: if you do the mathematical proofs, there's an answer in there hmm. <laughs> yeah. but uh, that's not in all those books anymore it's not not part of it no. which, is, which is
0: bad Hang on, I've just paused. Oh, there we go. It's on again. I think we went into it not responding. All right, let's do one of your books. you got any more?
1: Um, well, do you want me to talk about the Emma Wilby books?
0: No, um, so we can read those. Let's uh, save those. Do them at a later stage, yeah.
1: Okay, and I think I did the Nigel Pennock books last week. Hmm and of course I've got a whole new pile of um, astrology books and, and Benjamin Dykes just said he released a new translation this morning so I'm going to buy that one Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited because yay uh, stuff I haven't read yet so um, yeah I, I think that's it for me then if we're going to talk about um, Emma Willby's books and Lee Morgan
0: mm. Okay, we'll do that another but, time. Yeah, actually, we'll do that
1: on our, our next one.
0: <laughs> yeah, something else I've actually been reading is um, the Sacred Hoop magazine. Um, hmm. It's shamanism. It is fantastic. It is brilliant. I've got I bought issue one eighteen, uh, which was at the end of twenty twenty two, and I've bought the, the latest issue. That is quarterly. Um, if anybody does want to check it out, it is sacredhoop.org and it's just packed with incredible information and it's like £4 an issue. And I'm going to start getting the back issues. I can't remember what date. I think it goes back to 1980 something. Um, but you can buy a bundle of four. It's electronic version. But you can buy a bundle yeah. of four for £8. Um, so I'm going to start buying those each month reading them but um, oh, yeah. I mean this issue 118 it's got an article called contrasting spirits and it um, does a comparison between traditional shamanism and Western core shamanism that Michael Harner created mm-hmm. and the spirits that the two interact with and how different they are because with um, core shamanism you go to the upper world and you go to the lower world and you deal with the, mm-hmm. the friendly spirits you do not deal with spirits in the middle world, which is where the traditional shaman spent most of their time. And they were not always friendly spirits. They fought with you. They killed you sometimes. They just caused pain and suffering, and you had to bring them under control. Um, So very interesting. It goes into shamans' curses and shaman wars. um, You know... People don't even think that happens because shamans are you know, very nice people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: they don't.
0: They don't do curses and things like that. Yeah. yeah it's a pity what okay. people think. No, well, you know, if you if you really do go just, into, we'll just
1: let that flitter on by. On <laughs> yeah,
0: by, yeah. If you really do go into the whole neo shamanism thing, it really is just that you know shamans are healers and they do not do anything bad or wrong they do not hurt people oh they fucking well do fucking <laughs> light <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh. uh, so, no but there, there really are some fantastic brilliant articles in here with incredible information um, the whole uh, I think Sacred Hoop um, there's also a Facebook group called Three World Shamanism Uh all created by Nicholas Breeze Wood He's actually lives in Wales um, But he's He really He knows his stuff He really does um, But it's, yeah Great, loved it I'm going to get more I'm going to try and get all of them So
1: I remembered another mm. Go on then uh, The sixth sick- the Sacred Magic of Ancient Egypt by Rosemary Clark.
0: Mm.
1: I had to uh, wash the, the dry book out of my <laughs> brain. <laughs> um, this has some cosmology in it, uh, kind of foundational cosmology, but it's really focused on practice. It's mm. focused on getting you primed and ready to do Egyptian religion, Egyptian magic and connect with the powers Mm. and be able to interact with the gods and um understand there's a lot in there that i found really fascinating about the uh, construction of the temples and the geography and the interaction with the sacred landscape um about you know how how the egyptian world view the cosmology was really grounded in architecture and geography and, and physical representation. And uh, there's some stuff in there too about how to bring that into the modern world because like most of us are not building our houses according to sacred principles. Mm. And we don't have space to build a temple and all of that sort of thing. So um, I, I, good book, very good book if you're interested in uh, the Kemetic anything. Faith, philosophy, practice, magic. magic—very um, good grounding. Very um, clear, basic instructions mm. for how to do things and and why to do things. It's the important bit, uh, as we're talking about, you know, you need to know why. You need to have the understanding.
0: Mm. Um, All right. So I think that brings us to the end of today's book talk, and uh, we will plug this in somewhere at some stage. So,
1: <laughs> Sorry we're not here today. There is
2: load shedding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so we'll see you next week or next... sometime. Sometime in the future. Sometime in the past. Who knows? Because time's not real. Well, I think we're going to have to go make that our, our tagline time's not real.
1: I mean... Welcome That's to the world, time's
0: not real. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not what you think it is. No.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, I think that phrase could be applied to everything. <laughs> mm. Solid? It's definitely not what you think it is. Time? <laughs> it's
2: definitely
1: not what you think it is. Your consciousness? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: Alright then. We will see you next time. Have a good one until then. Thanks for joining. Thanks for
1: listening. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us in the Wildwood. Meet us again next week for another episode and don't forget to check out our website at intothewildwood.com That's Wildwood with a Y and if you would like to support us you can leave a donation on the website.